everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 254 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today I am interviewing Amber Brisicki from Biceps After Babies, and she's going to talk all about nutrition and goal setting for runners and how we can use these tools to help us achieve our goals. So this is an awesome interview with Amber, and I know that you're going to get a lot out of it. So enjoy. This is the Real Life Runners podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right, so I'm so excited for you guys to hear this interview that I did with Amber Brisicki. She is awesome, and I know that you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode. So here's a little bit about Amber. Amber Brisicki is a wife, mom of four, ages 8 through 15, and a former RN who founded Biceps After Babies because she believes that being a mom doesn't have to mean your fittest days are behind you. What started as a little Instagram account to share her fitness journey online has become a business focused on empowering women to achieve. Her signature coaching program, Macros 101, has helped over 6,000 women use the tool of macro counting to build a nutrition plan that's both effective and enjoyable. Recently, Amber created a transformational fitness coach certification that teaches other health and fitness coaches how to improve client results by getting to the root of their problems. Amber loves chocolate and peanut butter, preferably together, lifting heavy weights at CrossFit, and hanging out at the beach with her family. So here's the episode with Amber. Let's dive in. All right, runners, I am so excited for today's podcast interview with Amber Brisicki from Biceps After Babies. She is going to be coming on here and talking all things nutrition and goal setting for us as runners and help us understand more of how we can use these tools like setting goals and understanding nutrition better to help us improve in our running and just in our overall health in life. So welcome, Amber, to the podcast. I'm so excited you're here. Thanks so much, Angie. I'm excited about this. Yeah. So can you start out by just telling us like a little bit about yourself? Like, who are you? What do you do? Who do you help? Yeah. Awesome. So my name is Amber Brzezicki and I am the owner and founder of Biceps After Babies. Um, I started my business back in 2016. It was kind of an accidental starting. It didn't, I didn't really start it to be a business. I started an Instagram account and just kind of started sharing things that were working for me and my fitness journey and people um, saw that and started asking for coaching and it like snowballed into where we are today, you know, seven years later. Um, but I, I picked the name biceps after babies because I have four children and, um, I, I, I had seen this like, uh, you know, general feeling amongst women that it's like, once you have kids, it's like downhill from there. It's like <laughs> your body will never be the same. You'll never be fit. You'll never look like you did in your twenties. And I really wanted to like, kind of kick that in the pants and be like, no, your fittest days can always be ahead of you. And you know, how can we have biceps after babies, um, and not just before the babies. And so that's really where the brand came out. Um, I teach a lot of, of macro counting and teaching how to, how to allow people to customize and utilize nutrition to support whatever goal that they are achieving. So a lot of people hear macro counting and they immediately think weight loss, but, um, fit or nutrition is important in every phase, you know, fitness or nutrition is important for runners and for weightlifting and for performance and for like adding bustle and for whatever it is you want to do. And so I really just teach it as a tool, um, and teach people how to customize based off of the goal that they are currently trying to seek. And, and so that's where I, I coach and, and help clients now. That's awesome. So were you into like health and fitness before you had babies? 
So I actually, you know, it's funny. I, um, I, when, when we grow up as children, I don't know if you had this experience, Angie, but I remember like getting to, to uh, college and like starting to talk about my childhood or things that happened at home that I just thought were very normal and like mm-hmm. a universal experience for everybody. And then you get to college and you're like, oh, wait, your dad didn't do that super weird thing that you realized that now was really actually weird Yeah, <laughs> for you is super normal. And so for, I know for a lot of people, they did not grow up with, um, with, you know, fitness being modeled. Um, but for me, I did, and it was modeled by my mom. So some of my very youngest memories, my mom taught, she taught old school aerobics and step aerobics at the YMCA. And I remember as like a three-year-old being brought to the YMCA sitting in the childcare. And there was a window that I could like see the group fitness room and like watching my mom teach fitness classes. Some of my earliest memories. And, um, when I turned 14, she took me to the weight room and, and showed me the dumbbells and the machines and the weights. And, you know, so from 14 on it was, I, I was in the weight room and it was very normalized for me to have females lifting weights. Like that was, that was totally normal. And so, you know, I am in somewhat unique in that, that I had that modeled for me at a very young age. And sometimes people feel, hear that and they feel like, oh, well, I didn't have that. It's <laughs> not my experience. My experience is of my mom dieting all the time and always talking about her weight and talking bad about her body and like, you know, eating sugar-free food all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I always make the point to people that, um, that you can be that break in the chain. Like if you didn't have that modeled for you, how can you model that for the people who are coming after you, for your kids, for your grandkids, for the people who you have influence on now? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a really long answer to your question of, you know, yes, I have had, um, I had fitness modeled for me from a very young age. However, I I've had four babies, mm-hmm. you don't know, just like, <laughs> it's like your body changes a lot. There's a lot of gaining and losing weight and, you know, having things look completely weird when you look in the mirror postpartum. And so, you know, I've, I've worked through those. So, you know, just because I was introduced at fitness at a young age, doesn't mean it's always been easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have that, that foundation, which I am, I am grateful for. Yeah. I think that's so true though, too. Cause you know, I know like for myself, like I grew up playing competitive sports, mm-hmm. you know, but even with competitive sports, there was always all of these body image issues that kind of came along with it. Yeah. And then college and gaining weight and then trying to lose weight and, you know, different, like my, you know, I have a, a bit of a different journey, but it is so true that like, even when we do become mothers, cause I, I like, so I, was also very much into health and fitness before I had babies, like, you know, mm-hmm. doing different things and always at the gym and, and that kind of thing. And then it's like, you have babies and everything just changes because it's not only your <laughs> body that changes, right. It's like your identity changes and, and your schedule and yes. you're like, you know, taking care of another human being. And mm-hmm. I remember when I realized I had to like get childcare for my baby to like go to the gym, you know, like even just like simple things like that, it just changes a hundred percent. Like, I know that for me, I was inconsistent with my workouts for like three years after Mm -hmm. my second child, because it was like after the first one, okay, no problem. Got right back into it. My husband and I would like trade off. And then all of a sudden number two came around. So I can only imagine with four what that must've been like. So did you kind of struggle with your health and fitness like during that time? So I, you know, I think there was different phases and, and, you know, this, this story arc also coincides with, uh, my, so my husband's a physician, I'm a a nurse by training and my husband's a physician. Um, and so 
during this whole period of like childbearing and like having four kids, we were also going through medical training and anybody who knows medical training, it's, it's pretty brutal. And we yeah. were moving every two to four years, um, cross country and new schools. And I was very, I, you know, for all the medical spouses out there, like in a lot of ways felt like a single mom during a lot of his med school and residency and, and fellowship. And so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that were going on at that time in terms of like what was going on personally with us and then with having kids and then with like trying to take care of everybody and, and also fill my cup. And so there definitely were ebbs and flows based on that, that period of time of like when I felt like I could get to the gym and when I felt like it was just too much and I like couldn't do it. Um, so yeah, I think like anything that there are those, those times, <laughs> there's times in our lives and those seasons and I've gone through probably every season that most women and or people have gone through of being more motivated, less motivated, not going to the gym, going to the gym, being heavier, being skinnier. Like it's just, it's part of, it's part of life sometimes. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Thank you for sharing that because like people sometimes look at someone like you now that like does this for a living and has a strong muscular body, you know, lean body and like, oh, well must be easy for her. Right. Right. But it's not. Yeah. No, it it still requires work. (laughs) It still requires effort. It still requires coaching and teaching and learning. And, you know, all, all of those things are still, it's behind the curtain. You don't, you don't see those things, but they, but they exist. Yeah, for sure. So if we jump into nutrition, um, you talk about how you help um, teach people how to count macros and how Mm -hmm. macro counting is a tool. Can you talk a little bit about how you see macro counting? Cause you say, you know, you don't like to look at it as weight loss, which is like how a lot of people do see it. So how Mm -hmm. do you like to see macro counting? Yeah. Well, I I think the first thing that's really um, valuable to talk about is that you eat macros, whether or not you're paying attention to them or not. Mm -hmm. Like we all eat certain macros every single day because macronutrients are what make up our food. Macros Mm -hmm. are just carbs, fat, and protein. It's in everything that you eat. And so we can start to even just, uh, you know, understand very logically that if you pay attention to what you're eating and the carbs, fat, and protein, and making sure you're getting that balance that your body needs. Well, of course that's going to be beneficial for your body because you're fueling it in a way that it needs to be fueled. And I think runners, especially, um, you know, I, I love working with runners because I feel like most of them have a little bit more understanding of the impact of their nutrition on their performance. Um, and you, you know, you use gels and, you know, you eat carbs to certain, you know, during before a race and you carb load and you like, so you already innately understand that there's value in having enough carbohydrates on board in order to fuel the performance. And it's very similar with all the macronutrients. It's like, if we can get the balance, right, if we can give your body what it needs, of course, it's going to perform better. Now that's the, that is, that is macro counting, right? It's like understanding that the manipulation of what you're eating in order to fuel, whatever goal you have performance, aesthetic, weight loss, muscle gain, whatever it is. My issue (laughs) where I like to like really differentiate is that so many people have taken this tool of macro counting of just understanding nutrition and supporting the goals that you have. And they've just turned it into the problems that are associated with all other diets where it still becomes very restrictive, where it's like, you have to eat these macros. And if you don't eat these macros, well, then you did it wrong. And of course you're not going to get results and you just need to be more consistent and you need to toughen up and you need to have willpower. And, um, I think it, it, the reason that happens is because that's, 
that diet, I call it diet mentality has mm-hmm. been what people have been raised on. And that's what they know. It's like, you get into a diet, you're like, okay, what are the rules? What do I have to do? What is off limits? How do I have to follow them? And if you don't follow those rules, then well, of course, that's why it didn't work. That's why you didn't lose the 10 pounds. Cause you did it wrong. Of course. <laughs> and, and you just need to follow the rules better. And it becomes a very like, you know, blaming thing of where we start to blame ourselves of like, well, if I just stuck to it better, if I just didn't eat that sugar, then I would have been successful. If only I had more discipline, right. If, or willpower or motivation, yeah. or like, you know, the number of people who are like, how do you stay, how do you like find motivation? And I'm like, if you're relying on motivation, you're relying on the very wrong thing. Like that's the <laughs> wrong thing to be relying on. So, you know, I, I get really, and you can probably hear it in my voice. I get really passionate talking about it because this tool, this like scientific tool of nutrition gets like, I don't like, I I wanted to say a bad word, but gets taken and like twisted in a way that like is not, it's not what it is. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is people get into macro counting and it just becomes another diet because they bring that diet mentality with them. And they, now they feel now, instead of feeling bad when they eat sugar, they feel bad if they go over their macros Mm -hmm. or if they don't hit their protein or if they like, you know, it's like, it just becomes another diet. Yeah. So one of the things that I really try to help clients to do is to separate that, that diet mentality. And I talk about turning it more into a scientist mentality and learning to experiment with your body and learning to figure out how your body performs best and what macronutrient ratios are going to work for you. And really removing that uh, emotion, the emotionality that a lot of us have around food and our bodies and putting on our scientist hat and having more logic and reasoning and understanding about our bodies. Because when we can come from that scientist mindset, we can make such better choices about what, how to fuel our body, what to do, like how to, how to, you know, incorporate food into our daily life. So yeah, I don't remember I mean, what your question was, but that was, that <laughs> that's was my okay. spiel. That's okay. And that like, it's so interesting though. Cause like one of the things that I just heard you say is like that, how food has become such an emotional thing and how, yeah. how much emotion is wrapped up in that and how much like shame and blame and guilt does yeah. get wrapped up in that because of the diet culture that we find mm-hmm. ourselves in. And, yeah. you know, even here, even runners like that do understand, you know, carb loading or fueling or those kinds of things still hear these things of like carbohydrates are bad. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the myths that I continually are, am breaking down for people. Like you need to eat more carbs. Like you are a runner. They're like, where is your body getting fuel from? <laughs> like, where exactly. do you think it's coming from? Exactly. Like you need to eat the carbs. So why do you think that there is such like, an emotional side of, of eating and, and how do you go about like helping people break that down? Yeah, it's it's an excellent question. Uh, You know, a lot of it is context and there is definitely a culture and an upbringing that is passed down from generation to generation of, um, ideas that we have about food and about our bodies. You know, you go through like the nineties when it was like, everything was like low fat. And, and then you went through like the keto phase. And then it's like, you know, there as a society and as a culture, we definitely have messages that are, are given to us that we internalize from a young age about carbs are bad. Sugar's bad. You should never eat after 8 PM. You know, we just internalize these things uh, as truth. And, you know, one of the, and you asked a really great question is like, okay, well, how do we, how do we remove that programming? How do we change that programming? Yeah. Um, and you know, honestly, this is where coaching can be incredibly valuable because the problem with these, these beliefs and thoughts that we have internalized is that they run on autopilot and we don't even know that it's happening. Um, it's just things that we've, we've always told ourselves that carbs are bad. We never, we never stopped to even question it. We just like, that's, 
it's just the way the world is like carbs are just bad. That's it. And, um, I liken it to like having spinach in your teeth where it can be sometimes really hard to see it in your teeth. And that's why we have friends. And that's why we have mirrors because your, your friend can lean over and be like, Hey girlfriend, you got like a little spinach in your teeth. And you can be like, Oh gosh, let's, let's get rid of that. (laughs) And, um, that's what, you know, coaching can do for you is, is point out that spinach in your teeth and be like, Hey, have you ever thought about why carbs are bad? Like, tell me like, actually, why are carbs bad? Like what is, what is eating a carb going to actually do? And then people start to think about it and they're like, well, I don't, I don't really know. I just know they're bad. Yeah. Because the expert told me so. <laughs> because like somebody at some point told me so. And right. you were like, you know, once you start to like, start to poke holes in those beliefs of like, well, carbs are bad according to who mm-hmm. or carbs are bad in every situation. Is there any time that you should eat a carb? You know, you start challenging these beliefs and, and start poking holes in them. And, um, you can start to break down some of those, those things that are, are keeping you stuck in uh, reaching the goals that you want to hit. Yeah. So it's really all about finding those underlying thoughts and beliefs that we have and yep. then starting to question them. You got it. Yeah. And like, and like that applies to like every area of your life. hundred <laughs> percent. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. that's what I always say. I'm like, I'm always like, I do fitness but it's not really about fitness because right. <laughs> it's like, once you learn these things in like this realm or this arena that I play in, which is fitness, then, um, what I really get excited about is when clients are like, oh my gosh, I like use that same principle in like talking to my children. And I'm like, I know, because once you learn these things, mm-hmm. they apply to so many areas of your life. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. That's really what, like why I even started this podcast to begin with, because I want people to know like the lessons we learn from running, we can apply to every other area of a our life. A million times. Yes. Right? Like, a million times. Yes. Like health and fitness, like whether it's running or weightlifting or whatever, I think it's like really the gateway to like personal growth and development fast track. So much. Right. I agree. Yep. Yeah. And it's yep, like, yep. that's why I even started a business in the first place. Like, you yep, know, it's yep. because of everything that in my health journey and fitness journey, that's kind of led me to think differently and mm-hmm. dream bigger and set goals and doing all of those things too. hundred mm-hmm. percent. So when it comes to like tracking macros specifically, mm-hmm. like I know for runners, and, and this is definitely something I wanted to, to really, really allow you to speak on is sometimes people take these tools, like you've already talked about and mm-hmm. these, this wonderful scientific tool and they've manipulated it and twisted it to be something negative. Right. And I think that a lot of times runners, especially historically, um, we're always told like the smaller your body is the, the faster you're going to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were always trying to drop weight and, and people just have this idea that like, if I'm smaller, that means I'm going to run faster. Like Mm -hmm. even I'll have clients come to me sometimes and they're like, well, first I want to lose 20 pounds and, and, and run a marathon or, you know, so, so that I can run a faster time. And I was like, why do you think that losing 20 pounds is going to automatically give you a faster half marathon yes. time? Right. Right. Um, so how can we use as runners, like the tool of macro counting without allowing ourselves to kind of get into that diet mentality and, yeah. um, restriction, because like, I know that like, that's a lot, a big thing that always has kind of stopped me from doing it, you know, mm-hmm. is like, I don't want to restrict myself. It's that restriction mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I love this question because, um, that is a thing that comes up a, a lot with people is like, some people really re- like restriction and they like thrive on it. These are yeah. like my, my chronic dieters who like, they need, they think that they need to be told what to do. And they like, like, they feel good if they're like restricting. Um, and, and, but then there's a lot of people who we have that like teenage brain. That's like, as soon as you tell me, no, that's all I want to do. Right. 
right. you know? And um, so I always like to, to uh, bring in this uh, concept of restriction and that restriction is, is really, it, it is a way that you're speaking to yourself rather than the actual scenario that you were in. And I, and I like to give an example of my dad, my dad's um, he's actually a runner. Uh, he's run a lot of marathons, uh, and he doesn't really like chocolate. Like it just doesn't do anything for him. Like he just, he doesn't care for it. Mm -hmm. And, um, if, and I love chocolate, man, like chocolate and peanut butter is like God's gift to the earth. Yeah. I will never understand people that don't like chocolate. (laughs) Me either. Um, (laughs) I actually have a son who doesn't like chocolate. I'm like, you are crazy. But, but if we go into a, a party and there is a like beautiful chocolate cake and my dad walks in and he's like, man, don't really want it. Don't really care. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't eat the thing and he doesn't care. And I go in there and I'm like, oh my gosh, all I want is that chocolate cake, but I can't have it. Oh my gosh. But it's oh, my mouth is watering, but I can't have it. I shouldn't have it. It's not fitting my macros, blah, 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 blah. And I sit here feeling restricted that I can't have the cake. The outcome is the same. Like we both didn't have the cake, but I felt restricted and my dad didn't. And so that tells us that restriction is not it's not a thing. It's an interpretation of said thing. It's the way that you're speaking to yourself about something. And so, you know, if you are someone who rejects restriction and doesn't like restriction, one of the ways that we can start to address that is by outlining that self-talk that's going on of where you're telling yourself you can't have something. Mm -hmm. And when we can start to shift that, I can't have that from, I choose not to have that, or I choose this instead, it becomes a much more empowering situation to where we can choose the things that we want. We can prioritize the things that we want. And sometimes that means not having the cake because we're prioritizing this thing that's more important. And sometimes it means having the cake because right now I want the cake and that's what I'm prioritizing, but it becomes a much more empowering way to, um, to approach it. Yeah. But to your other question. So that was like the last half of your question. The first half was like, how, especially as runners, do we make sure we're not taking it it too far? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I think everybody would agree that there is a middle ground because yes, to some extent is like the lighter your body is, the faster you will run to some extent. Is that true? Yeah, that is true. However, we also know that there is some level of, um, nutrition and fuel that your body needs in order to perform its best. And so there's like these two, these two things you're balancing is like, how light are we? And then how well is our body performing? And sometimes we get, we get, um, give way too much credence to one side or the other, when in reality, it's about finding the balance for both. And the tricky thing about this is the balance for both for you is different than the balance for both for somebody else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I think as runners, you can look and see, Oh, like, look at that marathoner. They like, they're super lean and like super small. And that's why they can run so fast. And we take our body, which may be a completely different body type, a completely different set of hips, a completely different, like body weight set point. And we feel like that's the thing that we have to achieve. And so we start going way far to one side where we are trying to prioritize leanness over performance, over the ability to fuel our bodies well. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think everybody can understand that there's this balance between the two and understanding that for you, finding that balance to where both of those are, are being met, where you are fueling your body well, and, you know, having the lightness that you want is going to be the, the healthy medium. And it's not going to look the same for everybody. Yeah. And so that comparison that starts to come out isn't, isn't beneficial for anybody. Yeah. So then how do we kind of figure out what's right for us? Yeah. So that's, this is what I teach clients how to do. Right. Okay. And so it's like, 
how can we become the scientists in our own journey? Mm-hmm. Everybody, every one of us is different. Yeah. All of us are unique. We have unique goals. We have unique body. We have unique metabolism. We have a unique lifestyle. We have things like factors that are really important to us. What's important to me, what's non-negotiable to me may not be non-negotiable to you. So understanding that, that all of us are unique, we have to kind of do some experiments and figure it out. And when you can utilize something like macro counting and start to experiment with your body, experiment with different ratios, experiment with when you eat and how you eat and where you eat and, and, and that whole thing and look at it like a scientist, it's just like running little experiments with your body over and over and over again. And I was actually just working with a client this morning and she was, she was, um, making the point that she, you know, hadn't had been really scared of carbs, (laughs) had been really scared of carbs. And she was kind of leaning into the process and she like ate a bunch of carbs. And she's like, I went to the gym and I just like crushed it. Like I've never felt that energized at the gym. Um, and so that was the result of her experiment. She tried eating some more carbs. She went to the gym. She felt like she crushed it. You know, the result of that experiment is like your body is doing really well on having carbs pre-workout great. Let's implement that in your journey. Mm -hmm. Somebody else may eat carbs pre-workout and they feel lethargic. They feel sluggish. They feel not very great. Well, maybe for you, that's not actually going to increase performance. So when you can start to look at your, your actions and your results in the realm of an experiment and testing and trying and tweaking things, we can narrow in on what's going to be really effective and and enjoyable and for, for you. Yeah, that's so that's so good. Um, because I know like one of the other things, like one of the other trends that I'm seeing a lot in the running world, especially like with uh registered dietitians and other nutritionists out there that work with runners, is um this leaning towards intuitive eating, right? Helping the other people, side, yeah. The other side, right? Because <laughs> yeah. it, it, that's kind of like where it is. Mm-hmm. It's like food yeah. rules, restrictions, yep. um, yep. counting, tracking, all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Versus intuitive eating. So yep. And, and giving runners that permission, right, to eat mm-hmm. whatever they want to eat or whatever, how to listen to their body. But kind of what I'm hearing from you is is like a blend in a way of the two, yes. of, of yeah. like really trying to like use this as a tool, but still listen to your body and your goals and, and everything that you want to do. So like, is that kind of, am I hearing that right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I think I, I love intuitive eating. I think there's a lot of value, um, with intuitive eating. However, I find that, um, a lot of people have a really hard time leaping from where they are currently to this place of intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think to me on some levels, and, and this is uh, a broad generalization, but on some levels, I feel like we're talking, there's two extremes. It's like the intuitive eating, you just eat whatever and you eat whatever your body needs. And if you want it, then you have it. And then there's this other side where it's like really restrictive and no, I have to follow this and I can't eat anything outside of what my plan is. And you're exactly right. I'm a happy medium kind of gal. It's like, I'm trying to find like, let's take the best from both worlds and let's combine them and let's understand body and understand nutrition and utilize that to our benefit without letting it become restrictive and a diet and all of the terrible things that come with like yo-yo dieting and things like that. How can we blend those two sides? So we're taking the best of both to be able to, to move forward. And that's, you know, it's honestly what I do with my clients. Yeah. Let's blend those worlds. 
Yeah, that's so awesome. I love it because that's, that's really a lot of what we try to do too. Like with, cause we teach, um, runners effort-based running, right? Because there's, it's kind of like you can, um, prescribe like very specific paces, like on this run, you have to hit between this, yeah. this pace mm-hmm. and this pace. And like, and then there's effort-based where it's like, you have to listen to your body and, and assess mm-hmm. how hard am I going? Right. That rating of perceived exertion. And do you guys use RPE in, in running too? We do. Like, sounds, yeah. sounds like an RPE. Yeah. It's an RPE. Lifting. You got <laughs> it. Yeah. It's an RPE. Yeah. And that's really what we love to teach our runners how to do, but it's so funny. And it's, I think it, it really, um, it applies to the nutrition world too. It's like people in general, especially like fitness minded people, I think have such a hard time trusting their sel- themselves, yeah. right? Like to, Ooh, to know, yeah. right? Like, cause the numbers make it easier. It's like, if I, if I have a set pace, then I know I'm doing it right. You know, yeah. quota, if you guys can't see me, I'm doing air quotes, uh-huh. but like same thing with macros. Like, okay, if uh-huh. I know I'm hitting these numbers exactly, then I know I'm doing it right. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's yeah. like us as coaches, we, as coaches are trying to like help people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These tools are good but ultimately you have to learn how to listen to your own body and adapt it. Right. I actually just, we just did a coaching call and this, this thought came out of, um, of a three phase process when it comes to food. So what I find is that a lot of women start in phase one where they, they don't feel, they feel out of control with food on some level. Like yeah. they just like, I, I just feel like food controls me. I'm out of control with food. Mm-hmm. And so that the phase two is helping them move to a place of feeling more in control with food. And for a lot of people like counting macros helps them to feel more in control, feel like they have a handle on things, feel like they can, you know, have a little bit of power over food. But a lot of people stop there and think that's the end, but that's just phase two. Phase three is where we're really trying to get to. And phase three is trust. And so it it can be a little tricky because in order to move to phase three, you have to let go of some of the control, that grip that you have, um, that you think is like the end destination is like, I have control, but then you start to realize that like control has its problems as well. And how can we start to help you to move to phase three, which is relaxing that grip, trusting yourself, trusting your body to do what it needs to do. Um, and that is the phases that I like to help clients to work through. And so, yeah, I I think of macro counting is like that intermediary step is it helps a lot of women go from feeling out of control to in control with food, Mm -hmm. but it's not the end destination. The end destination is trust and, and helping clients to get to that place where they can trust themselves. A hundred percent. Like, yeah. And it's totally the same with running too. Like, because Mm -hmm. it's right. It's like you give them that plan that finally is going to give them that structure. But then just like you said before, like with biceps after babies, like we're constantly changing our bodies. It's like what works for us one year is not going to necessarily work the next year or after the next baby or Mm -hmm. after the next phase of life. And so it really is this constant process of like, doing something, assessing it, getting the data, you know, putting on that science, ha- uh, scientist hat, and then trying to figure out what is right for us. And, and a hundred percent, like trusting yourself to know what's right. And I think yep. that that's one of the best things that we can do as coaches is to yeah. empower, like help people like learn how to trust themselves. hundred percent. That's yeah. actually our, that's actually our mission statement for biceps after babies. Nice. I didn't even know that. Em- empower awesome. women to tap into their innate ability to achieve. That's it. I love it. I love it so much. So, um, what else do you think, um, is important for us, like as runners to know if there's, if there, is there anything else like about nutrition that you think would be important for us to, to think about as runners? So, so in general, um, 
I'm not a big fan of talking about meal timing. Mm. And the reason is, it's because it, it plays such a small role in the results that people get. People get really uh, worked up about, oh my gosh, I can't eat after this time, or I have to eat during this window, or I have to have protein within this, this like time frame after my workout. They like, they really focus on this, like the minute things that don't actually move the needle that much. Like if you right. took that energy and attention and you applied it to like your sleep and your stress and your food and your, like that's going to move mountains, but like you eating protein 20 minutes or 40 minutes after your workout is like zero is like negligible. So I usually don't talk a ton about meal timing. However, with athletes, it can play a bigger role in how you, how you feel, how you perform. And, um, because that timing of like, when we're getting the glucose in, when we are, you know, having the carbs and, and how, how far ahead of a right race, how many days ahead of a race, intra, you know, intra fueling post run fueling, um, can make a much bigger difference for someone who is an athlete and needs to perform at a certain level at at a certain time. And so I think, um, that being said, if you are an athlete playing around and I, and I think my guess is many of your, your runners already do this to some extent of, of testing and trying and seeing like, well, I know I do really well. If I eat half a banana before a run, you know, if I eat a whole banana, I don't feel feel great. If I don't eat a banana, I don't feel great, but if I eat half a banana, like I feel pretty good on a run. Mm-hmm. Um, but that meal timing is something that can be, um, a little bit different for an athlete and, and testing and trying and tweaking and seeing what is going to work for you mm-hmm. can make a big difference of like the availability of carbohydrates yeah. during, during a run. Yeah. But you, you totally nail such an important point that like we stress to our clients all the time also, which is like, you have to like hit the low hanging fruit first. Right. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter if you are taking in 150 calories on your run every 45 minutes, if the rest of your diet is crap, if you're not exactly. getting enough sleep, if you're not hydrating, like you got to take care of that stuff. And then those little tweaks are yeah. going to help with the 1%, but people want to yeah. go after the 1% without yes. dealing with like the 25%. That's way easier. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what the people like, I think at the top of the pyramid, that's like those like things that move the needle, just like a little bit extra, right. is like supplements and meal timing and like things like that, that it's like, yeah. yeah, maybe if you're like wanting to eke out that like little extra, we can spend a little time there. But if you're not taking care of everything else, that's on the bottom of the pyramid that makes up 95% of your results, your training, your nutrition, your sleep, and your stress, like there's no use in focusing on those like one or 2%. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Um, so what do you think? Um, I know that like goal setting is another really big area that you love to help people with in general. And we, as runners tend to be very goal oriented types of humans. (laughs) So like, I mean, us weightlifters too, like, Oh yeah. About the number on the bar. Right. Right. Yeah. So how can like, and I think that a lot of times we let those numbers define us to an extent, Mm -hmm. right. And define success or define failure. So can you just speak a little bit about kind of the way that you like to look at goal setting and kind of how you teach goal setting to your clients? Yeah. Um, I think, I think this is a really good conversation because it impacts, you know, it impacts runners. It impacts weightlifters. It impacts Mm -hmm. people who have been on any sort of fitness journey. Yeah. Um, that, comparison is, is really dangerous. And oftentimes when we think about comparison, we think about comparison with other people and how that can be dangerous. And and we all know comparison is a thief of joy and yada, yada, yada. 
Um, but I think some of the most damaging comparison that can happen is comparison with a former version of yourself. And that happens a lot with runners. It happens a lot with weightlifters where it was like, I used to be able to, I, my, one of my proudest moments was when I hit a 303 deadlift in a powerlifting competition. That was a big, like a big lift for me. I wanted to get a, a plus 300 deadlift and I did it in competition and it was amazing. Like that was awesome. Yeah. I can't, if you asked me to do a 303 deadlift today, I could not do it. Like mm -hmm. my deadlift is probably 40 pounds under that now. Um, and so there, but I did that once. Yeah. <laughs> and so there can be a tendency yeah. to be like, get frustrated with myself when I go into the gym and now my max deadlift is 260, mm -hmm. 265. It's like, but I used to be able to do a 300 and that comparison with a former version of yourself is so damaging. And I see it a lot in runners Yep. Right? because you have your split times and you like know how fast you can run a mile. And then you ran that marathon and it was this time. And then you got this time, this time, you know, and I think that that comparison um, with a former self is can be just as damaging as com in comparison with with somebody else. So I think you know, and we could talk all day about about goal setting. Um, but I think one of the things with goals that that I I like to work with my clients on is um, the difference between an outcome goal and a process goal. And an outcome goal is something that you want to achieve, right? I want to hit. I don't know how fast you're, you're, you people probably, <laughs> you, people, you people will probably run faster. When I, I ran one marathon in my entire life. Cause I was on my bucket list and I did it. And I, I told Angie ahead of time, I did it. I crossed the finish line and I was like, well, I'm never doing that again. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but my goal was to run a sub 420. This is how slow I am. A sub 420 That's marathon. Slow. That's not it slow. Is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> great. But I, I actually, I ran a get this. I ran a four twenty and 30 second. Marathon. Oh my goodness. But it's okay. It's fine. I'm never running again, yeah. but, um, <laughs> that 30 but... <laughs> seconds does not mean enough for me to do it again. <laughs> exactly. I, I close enough. We're just calling it a bro rep and we're calling it good enough. Yeah. Um, so, but, but that's the outcome, right? I want to run a sub four minute marathon, or I want to like deadlift 300 pounds. Like that's the outcome. And we know that there are steps to, to take in order to increase our likelihood of achieving that outcome. But at the end of the day, whether you run a 430 marathon or deadlift 300 pounds, that is not entirely within your control. There are a lot of factors that go into that, that you don't have control over. Mm -hmm. So outcome goals are great. We should be setting outcome goals. I set outcome goals all the time that I want to achieve, but on the day to day, it's not the outcome goal that I'm focused on. It's the process goals and the process goals are the things that are within my control things that I have hundred percent control over. I don't have hundred percent control over if I can do a three Oh three deadlift. I do have control over deadlifting three times a week mm -hmm. or like, you know, not missing sessions or eating, you know, 120 grams of protein a day or, you know, whatever it is, those are things that are completely within my control that I can say, this is my goal. And this is what I need to accomplish. And when I've done that part, when I've done my part, whether or not I reach the outcome is less important because I did the part that I was committed to and that I was dedicated to. Yeah. And so I think when we can be really specific of like, is this an outcome goal or is it a process goal? Because if, if you're only focusing on outcome goals all the time, you're going to get discouraged and it's not, it's not going to be successful because there are things outside of your control. Mm -hmm. It's not that we shouldn't set them. We should, but on the day to day, what do we focus on is the things that are within our control. And so that's how you become successful, even if the outcome isn't what you want. Mm -hmm. So if you did everything within your control to run that, you know, sub four hour marathon, 
you guys are probably like sub threes. I don't know. You guys are crazy. <laughs> That's Kevin, not me. Okay. Ke- Ke- Kevin is the sub three. Like he runs yeah. crazy, crazy miles and crazy fast, but not me. Yeah. So like if your goal is to run a sub, you know, four hour marathon, um, and you don't achieve it, but you did everything that you had set up to do. I'm going to like run this many times a week and I'm going to do this long run and I'm going to feel this way and I'm going to sleep this much. And, and those things that were within your control, you controlled them, then it's a success, whether or not you hit the actual outcome goal. And so I think that that's how I try to, um, teach my clients. That's how I try to focus on my own goals in, in the gym or whatever I'm setting in my business. Anything that I'm doing is have the outcome goal. Yes. We love outcome goals. We want to like do big things, but I'm not disappointed or, you know, if I don't hit it, if I controlled everything that was within my control. Yeah. Because it's about the journey, right? Like it's about who we become in the process of attaining that goal. Like that's what we always like to talk about too. You know, like it's so funny. Like I, like this just makes me happy inside, like listening to you speak this way, because it's like the way that you coach your clients is like all the things that we coach our clients. So I love that they're hearing this from, you know, you in a different health and fitness world than we are technically, you know, but, Mm -hmm. um, it's so, so powerful, you know, to understand like what we really do have control or over or not, you know, cause like on race day, you never know what's going to happen, right? You never know how your body's yeah. going to feel. You never know what the weather is going to be like, like yep. there's so many variables that are outside of our control. And that's and why I think to like circle back around, that's where it goes from that place of control to trust. Yeah. Right. It's like, that's where we bridge the gap It's like, you did everything within your power to show up on race day, the way that you wanted to show up. And then you have to release it. And you just have to say, I did everything in my power. And now I'm just going to trust that what's going to happen is what's going to happen. And either I'm going to get the sub four hour marathon or I'm not. But at the end of the day, like I showed up, I took care of the things that I could take care of. And now I'm just trusting. Yeah. hundred percent. And like, if you don't get the results that you wanted, then you take a look back and you're like, okay, like where, where could I improve this? Right. Like, was, did I really do everything that I could do to control Mm -hmm. that? And like, we always like to tell people, like, if you don't get the result that you're after that you're shooting for, there's a reason, right. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason you didn't get that. Mm -hmm. And whatever happens, that's what was supposed to happen that day. Like that you either get the outcome that you want or you get the lesson that you need. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Um, this is so awesome. Um, so anything else that you want to relate to our listeners about anything, you know, goals, nutrition, anything that you think would be helpful that I haven't, that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. I mean, you you asked really great questions. I feel like we like we covered a, a really wide array from like macro counting to dieting to running yeah. to, to goal setting. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, in the realm of goal setting, I think it is, I think you're right that there are certain personality types that are attracted to running and, and weightlifting. And yeah. like, you know, there, there are, are, do you know your Enneagram? Yeah. What's your Enneagram? An eight. Oh, you're an eight. Yeah. Okay. I'm a three, which is the achiever. And I think like that, you know, the eight's the challenger and has a lot of similarities with the achiever, but I think that that drive to like be setting goals and achieving and Mm -hmm. like, you know, we get a high from, from climbing, but you and I were talking before, before we hit record about the tendency that we sometimes have of hitting a milestone, hitting something. And then then that not being good enough 
in the future right. and always be looking to like, this is actually something that the three does a lot is that they, they climb a mountain and then they immediately are like, what's the next mountain? Yep. You know, instead of like sitting there and be like, yeah, I climbed the mountain. Mm-hmm. They're like, what's the next peak? Right. And they're off to the next peak before, before yeah. anything. And I think, um, that that can be a danger with, with personality types of, especially if you are someone who likes to set goals and you like to achieve it and you're, you're driven and you want to like, always be like, you know, PR in your mile and whatever yeah. that it, you can, it can be easy to lose sight of the fact that like, yeah, maybe you ran a certain pace mile and that was amazing. And just because you're 15 seconds off that now doesn't mean that you're not amazing now, mm-hmm. you know, that you three years ago when you started running would have been thrilled with that, that mile pace and just being able to keep that perspective of, yeah. again, not, not comparing just with a former version of yourself, but, but really just showing up and putting in the work and, um, releasing and allowing what is going to happen to happen. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, I love that. So this has been so awesome. So what is, if you could give our listeners one takeaway that like from this episode, mm. what would you say it would be? I know that's a tough one. Cause like you said, we've covered so much, <laughs> so much juicy stuff here. One takeaway. Um, I, I think the overarching thing that I think is so powerful is recognizing that your experience with anything is colored by the way that you perceive it and, and talk yourself through it. And I think this applies to, you know, it applies to what we are talking about with macro counting of like macro counting, isn't one, like macro counting, isn't your experience of macro counting. You can have people who count macros who feel super in control and, and, you know, empowered. And some people who count it feel super restricted. It's not because macro counting has changed. It's because your experience of macro counting has changed and how you're talking to yourself and, and what you're saying about it, it is, is that experience. Same thing with goals. It's like, you know, it's the same thing as like, what it, what is that experience that you had, the result that you had is, is different than your, your interpretation of what is of like, that isn't a good enough time, or I want a better time or whatever. Um, and I think that's really helpful for people to kind of isolate and, and get familiar with this idea of like, we control so much of our reality with our thoughts and with how we speak to ourselves, And when you can get better at that, you can get better at removing the emotion, becoming the scientist that you really are empowered to do so much more in your world. And, um, and, and that's what I, that's what I want people to take away. I love that so much. Um, this has been so awesome, Amber. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Where can our listeners connect with you if they want to learn more from you or, you know, work with you, where can they find you? Yeah. Awesome. So, um, my podcast is a great way to connect with me. It's biceps after babies radio. And I talk all things macro counting and lifting and mindset and, you know, just general fitness, um, over there. And then I'm also really active on Instagram. So it's just at biceps after babies. Awesome. Yeah. And I will vouch for that podcast. It is a great one to listen to. Um, even as a runner, like there's so many good things that you can take away because like you guys said, if you enjoyed this episode and like all the mindset stuff and, and things that we talked about today, you're guys, you're going to love Amber's podcast. Cause she, um, touches on all that stuff as well. well. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So thank you so much for being here and I hope to talk to you soon again. Thanks Angie. All right. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend or take a screenshot and share it on social media. 
And make sure you tag us at Real Life Runners over on Instagram so that we can say thank you as well. And if you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, follow the podcast on your favorite podcast player, and leave a review because those reviews really do make a difference and help new runners and new people to find this podcast so that we can continue to help other people understand how to become more empowered in their running and the rest of their life. So thanks for joining us today. Now get out there and run your life.